Welcome to episode 42 of the False Neutral Podcast. Uh, Garrett and Eric, hi guys, how's it going? Oh, good, how are you? Good. So if this is ep- episode 42, this is life, the universe, and everything, right? <laughs> I, it's been done so many times, I'm not sure I, I could use that as the title. I know. But, uh... All right, all right. Hello, Jackie Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now, as as we record this, um, I spent the last two days at the Detroit Auto Show, um, and I looked at my phone, and I walked a little over five miles each day um, in dress shoes. Yeah. I enjoyed seeing all the pictures that you put up of everything there. Yeah, it was, was, it was cool. Yeah, it was a pretty horrible show, but and, and just down and not, not good. But, eh, you know, every year it's more about seeing people as much as anything else. So, yeah. I have to say, before we get into bikes, I was kind of really intrigued with the Stinger. Uh, mm-hmm. There aren't many five-door hatches out there, you know, th- that aren't wagons. I mean, true fastback five-door hatchbacks are hard to find nowadays. Is that going to be offered with a manual? Uh, highly unlikely. If it's got a CVT, I'll cry. No, there, it would be, I'm pretty sure it's, there'll be automatics for both of them. One's going to be a, a two liter turbo and then, uh, I believe a three. Oh, now I can't remember the press release and I even wrote it up for Hooniverse. Um, but I think there's going to be a V6 option in it. Yeah, it was like uh, 330 horsepower or something like that. Yeah, something, something like that. Um, but I'm pretty sure most of both of them will be automatic transmissions because the take rate on a manual would be three percent, and it's way too expensive to federalize at at that level. So, but the um, it's not supposed to be so much a BMW M kind of competitor as much as it is sort of the three slash four GT kind of competitor, but at a much lower price point. The Stinger name doesn't fit, though. I mean, no. it, it looks too much like an Acura to have a name like that. So, yeah, yeah, the first thing I thought of when I saw that name Stinger is, and you guys are—I don't know if you've ever played it, probably not—but Grand Theft Auto, they always have like, um, kind of these like really stereotypical names for all the cars in Grand Theft Auto when you're playing, and Stinger is like a name that would be on one of the cars, <laughs> but it seems a little immature for a name, but. Uh, I like the car. I like it a lot, actually. The disappointment was they had sort of hyped it as, well, people figured it was a, a sedan more than what it was, which six one half does the other, but more performance geared than what it ended up being because they talked about, teased about how much time they spent on the Nurburgring, yeah, you know, helping do the suspension and stuff like. But anyways, well, um, and but the- and back in the nineties, there was the Pontiac Stinger. Concept car, which concept is, car, which was so extremely Horrible. bizarre and radical that putting Stinger on just an ordinary car, I was kind of thinking, well, no, it, it really needs to be a more unusual car than that. 
The uh, if I remember right, the stinger was the one where it looked like you just yes, exactly. That's the one as it pops up. You just took a hose to it and hosed it out. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh-huh. the the door panels were actually coolers that could be pulled out of the door and make it like a dune buggy with just – it almost kind yep. of was like uh, the tube doors they put on off-roaders. But, uh, yeah. The uh, the one other thing I will say is – well, a couple, th- couple things from the show and then move on. But um, the new Lexus LS, which is a $100,000 car, should be spectacular, and it is. So when it comes out, if you ever get a chance to go to a Lexus dealer or see one on the road – and look at it. It's it's truly well well done. Um, and the other one is um, there were two. Uh, well, I was told they're not Singer Porsches. They're Singers that are nine eleven done as nine elevens because there's a whole trademark thing. I was told that by the PR person because right, they right. were watching me as I did my stand up there. And um, but I have to say, yes, they're three hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand dollars, and they're worth every single dollar. I sat there for an hour looking at all the details of. Well, one you could look at; the other one was up on a thing that you really couldn't see much. You couldn't see the interior, but yeah, it's just because because perfection. Singers actually they start with a Porsche, but they literally strip it down to the shell and yes, basically start rebuild over. it the way they think it should be. Yes, which is kind of kind of like uh, Moto Martin CBX or something like that in the yep. bike world. Yep, exactly, exactly. So, uh, but anyways, that's that's uh, enough about cars. <laughs> enough about cages. And and uh, Garrett, you're under a foot of snow in Portland. We heard last yeah. week what a half inch of snow does to your uh, community. Yeah, no, seriously. So remember, I was saying. Last week, we got a, a half an inch of snow and people had to abandon their vehicles and eventually on the freeway, eventually traffic cleared up and people got home. Last night, traffic never cleared up. The people that were on the highway trying to get home from work last night, everybody was still there this morning. I mean, like <laughs> just complete zoo. Um, they were predicting one to four inches of snow and we ended up getting... There is 12 inches uh, by 11 o'clock, and I think it snowed a little bit more. So probably 13, 14 inches here, which is um, more snow than we've had in probably about a decade. Wow. Uh, yeah, and all in like a 12-hour span. But yeah, so the city is just completely shut down, as you could imagine. And it's just, it, it is pretty comical to watch. In fact, if you just Google Portland snow, there's probably so much fun stuff to watch, but um, it's not it's not great for my wife and I, because as you also know, our baby was due yesterday, still hasn't come yet uh, and hopefully doesn't come today. Um, not only do we have to make it to the birthing center, but so do the midwives that are you know supposed to be delivering the baby. Uh, if worse comes to worse, um, we have a hospital that my wife actually works at, which is just like a quarter mile up the road from our house and we can go there and deliver. But, you know, that's not the, the plan. So hopefully it just marinates the baby marinates for a little bit until <laughs> the, the snow melts away. It's only supposed to be a high of about 32 degrees through the rest of the week. So, but, but clear. Why are why are you here talking to us instead of in the other room feeding your wife ice chips or something or uh, you know, rubbing her feet or something? She's got to be incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, you know, I think she's doing okay actually. Um, this pregnancy, this is our second son, and the first one, um, pretty smooth pregnancy, really not um, 
not not too terrible for her. So uh, I'm just taking a hour long break so I can join you, gentlemen. And we appreciate it. It wouldn't be the same without you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, well, the big news this week was victory is no more, I guess, won't be around in another 18 months. They're stopping production and going to take uh, a year and a half estimated to sell off the existing inventory. Uh, it kind of surprised me only because I thought I probably would have gotten a heads up, but uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, your your impressions or reactions? I was surprised by this. Then again, I don't really, I don't follow the company, nor do I really follow um, that style of motorcycle too much. But um, I, out of all of the, the V-twin cruiser style motorcycles, I really liked the victories, and I thought that they were healthy and profitable. Um, but it looked like the profit margins just weren't there for the company. And so they decided to focus on some of their other brands, but, um, and it sounds like Indians probably doing pretty well and they just kind of want to focus on that, but I'm kind of sad to see uh, the brand go. I I think they got a reputation as being imitation Harleys that Indians at the very worst are just imitation vintage Indians. So, Uh, and they hadn't done anything with the power plant in years. I mean, if you look at the victory motors that they <laughs> had has now, Harley. <laughs> well, no, cause Harley, Harley did the Rushmore I, I, and, the, I know. and the, the big, whatever their new one is, the, the Milwaukee, Milwaukee eight. Eight. the Milwaukee, yeah. stupid name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harley. <laughs> but, uh, no. I, I think that played into it that they just didn't have yeah. a competitive motor and, Quite honestly, anything they're going to develop that's going to be competitive needs to be an Indian because I think I read somewhere that in two years, after two years of selling Indians, they were selling more Indians last year than they did victories. It's like when you have that kind of name recognition and positive brand identity with something after two years, I could just see where you're like, the old ones just needs to you know, go it's, away. It's all about like when you roll up to somebody on a motorcycle, you don't want to be embarrassed to say like, Oh, I, I it's, it's a V star or something. And, and so a victory, you still had to be like, Oh no, it's not a Harley. It's a victory. But with an Indian, I feel like, and this is just my assumption. You don't have to have any embarrassment or shyness about saying that you're riding an Indian. And so I think people, probably will gravitate much more towards the Indian than they will the victory. And, and look what's happened. I mean, it kind of seems like it's gone that way. Like, like you're saying, but I uh, was doing some reading in uh, the Aprilia forum this morning. And that was one of the subjects that came up <clears throat> and there were a couple interesting points that were made by other people. Uh, one, after the announcement came out, they said they went into the local dealership that sold victories and Indians and something else. And it, he said in talking to the sales guy that, uh, the interest in Indians versus victory at that particular dealership was something like five or six to one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Another friend of mine down in Chattanooga, uh, he's kind of a Harley guy and he never liked the style. I mean, I would consider him a, I won't call it quintessential Harley guy, but he's, and he's not like a purist, but he, he has a good 
thumb or good, you know, his fingers on the pulse of that one. Um, and he said that he was never a fan of the styling. Now, I don't know how the styling was that different than a Harley, but in that yeah. world, I guess it's it just never appealed. And like you said, it was sort of a in, in, in you know a kind of an imitation. And and they sort of tried to build off on that whole chopper craze kind of thing too. Um, but the last one is, and this was the more interesting one that I haven't seen anyone mention. Polaris bought Bramo, the electric bike company, and kind of folded that in as a victory. So I'm kind of curious what they're going to do with that, unless they're going to try and rebrand that as a different kind of Indian. Although I don't know how that if that would I mean, it could work, but it it or they may or they may just call them Polaris like because I know I know they've got the uh, well, the side by sides and all that you got. There's the, some recognition there, and the on the street, the the slingshot mm-hmm. is under the. And they may be trying to strengthen the Polaris name and call their. Because quite honestly, I on the podcast several times misspoke and called Victories and Ramos Polarises, uh, <laughs> just because it's not a clear differentiation between the brands that they have. Yeah, I wonder if marketing effort had anything to do with the the profitability of victory not being what they wanted it to also just because locally there's um there's a big power sports dealer here and they sell uh yamaha suzuki and i think a little bit of honda i mean they're big so they can get away with selling a bunch of the major brands all in one place and about a year ago they took and it's a huge huge power sports dealer they took half of the entire showroom and made a beautiful Indian, um, like it's all part of the same dealership, but there's a spot just for Indian motorcycles. And I mean, they put in beautiful flooring and shelves and everything, and they really have the Indian motorcycles on display. And I don't know if it's similar across all of the Indian dealerships, but they put a lot of effort into the dealership to sell Indian motorcycles and, and, I've never really seen a victory dealership like that. Um, but again, I, that's just here. I'm not sure if it's like that everywhere. I, I have a, a acquaintance of mine that I've known for a long time who owns one of the big dealerships here in Kansas City. And uh, they are a victory dealer. They did not get the Indian franchise, however. That went to somebody across town. Uh, I've been curious to what he thinks. Because now they sell a lot of Polaris side by sides and stuff like that, uh, but they had a pretty nice display of of victories on the showroom floor, and I think they sold fairly well for them. So that's I was tempted to go in and say, ah, "How cheaply can I get an Octane in about hey. six months?" <laughs> yeah. Although, although every time I look at something with forward controls, it's really nice till I sit on it and I'm like, "Nah, I can't do this all day." Yeah. And that's one of the um, uh, who's it motor motorcycle dot com or motorcyclist or whatever. Um, they do a, they on their YouTube channel. Uh, one of the guys there does uh, rides and talks on his way to work as sort of an evaluation kind of thing. And they just did the Indian Scout sixty, I think. And uh, it's like, oh wow, this could be a really good bike. Blah blah blah. It's kind of interesting, actually. I could almost be interested in. It. And then he talked about forward controls, and I'm like, ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of trends and new bikes and stuff, I went to the 
what did they call it? The Brutal Beauty Tour for the new Bobber, their Kansas City introduction unveiling of the Bobber. And I didn't realize it from their advertising, but also the new Street Scrambler. And it was the biggest two-hour waste of my life. Uh, <laughs> I truly thought, I'll go by after work, they'll have the bike set up, I'll go by, I'll take a look at them, ask a couple questions of the factory reps, and head home and know a little bit about them. And instead of just being about the bikes, it was it was in a local coffee roasting plant. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's... They're going to keep everybody here for several hours before showing them the bikes. And the crowd got bigger and bigger. And I'm thinking this is the most annoying thing in the world that I have to stand around in a huge crowd. And I heard probably four or five different times people who were not part of the staff that were just there going, wow, this is great. Look at the size of this crowd. And I thought, you're all here to be seen, not to see the motorcycles. And it was just, oh, they had... Uh, they had a bar and they had a catered spread and everyone was walking around in their triumph clothing and t-shirts and jackets and stuff. And, and you know, that rule that you never wear the concert t-shirt. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it was a competition just to, to prove that you were not just a looky loo, that you were a real triumph devotee. And, you weren't an urban sport hipster. You were a uh, brand ambassador. <laughs> yes, yes. A uh, friend of mine from work and I went. And uh, after about two hours, we're like, I don't care if I ever see a bobber. Just let me out of here. I still have not checked out a bobber in the flesh, even though I stood around waiting for them to do it last night or Monday night. So. That sounds unfortunate. It also yes. sounds like you're in Portland, but. <laughs> and the number of flannel it. shirts I saw there. Everybody <laughs> who was not wearing a Triumph. I need to make a flannel shirt with the Triumph logo on the back. That would be the best seller in the world. Oh, you'd be a zillionaire. <laughs> <laughs> and Eric, you wanted to talk about the new triples that they just uh, announced. Yeah, I guess they did an event in London last night and uh, yeah, three new street triples with the new uh, all new 765 CC engine, which is up from uh, 675. The other uh, announcement about that and sort of related to that engine is that engine in a more higher spec form will be the, the engine that powers the Moto2 GP bikes after 20, I believe, starting in 2018 or 19, 19. 18, something like 18 or 19, whichever. Um, so that's kind of interesting on, on that level. Um, but three trims and, uh, with three different power levels and of course three different specs of, um, suspension. The interesting stat I saw in there was dry weight of 365 pounds. Yeah. I would like to hear your personal opinions on this before I go and flap my gums, but what do you think of the motors and the, the motorcycles as a whole. Uh, the having ridden the old, obviously an older version of the street triple. I love that engine. Yeah. Um, you now, if you lean on it really hard and go racing with it, yeah, it's a bit of a time bomb, but for general riding around and even in the occasional track day, it's more than sufficient. It's, it's a riot. It's pretty dead reliable in that 
you know, street level trim. Uh, and it makes, well, at least the one that I rode that had an aero pipe on it made a beautiful sound when you were on it, too. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, Triumph triples just sound incredible. And triple cylinder motors in general, I really like the exotic sound that they make. But I'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't up the displacement more. And that so like could be because... To like 800? Well, or or even closer to 900. But that could have just been because of, like you were saying, um, using this motor for GP use. Um, maybe they wanted to keep it to a certain displacement, but um, I what I really like about the FCO nine is the torque and and the low end torque that they make. Um, and so I thought that something like this could have been really fun, even though it makes gobs of horsepower. Um, it's the torque, torque figures was... are up really, but they do, they make okay torque, but it's up at like ninety five hundred RPMs. Well, that's um, peak, so they're not really showing I, that. You'd have to look at the well, the dyno graph of it too, though. Any seven hundred ish or slightly higher CC motor that has a horsepower figure up at around one hundred and twenty horsepower is going to be an extremely high revving motor, and yeah. it's not going to have a lot of low end torque. And that's just an inherent thing. Um, if they would have increased the displacement a little bit more and still maintained similar horsepower figures, they probably could have had a torque figure higher in the lower RPMs, which I think would have made it a more fun street bike. But maybe that's not what they're going for. That's the only thing that I wish I would have seen is just a little bit more displacement and more mm-hmm. torque in the lower RPMs. But otherwise, I think they're incredible looking. I like the displays on them. I like the features, the suspension and brakes uh, that they come with, well, mm-hmm. at least on the RS models. But um, the only in, other th- even in the base model is not bad. You know. Right. No. And they're saying that the uh, prices are going to start at like not. I think it was ninety nine or yeah, 10 grand. yeah. Call it ten grand. And then I figure is look, not, look, not bad. Actually. No. And then I figure, oh, it's middle of January and it's thunder and lightning outside in Metro Detroit. That's great. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So I figured my guess is looking at the different equipment that comes in it, you get, you know, better suspension and better brakes at every step up and a yeah. little more electronics. So I figured my guess is, is that each step up will be like 1500 between 1500 and $1,800 per step up. So like the street triple S will start at 10. Your, tri- your R will be like 11, five, 11, eight. And then the RS will probably be something close to 13. Yeah. The only other thing that I wasn't super excited about and for reasons that nobody even cares about was it being a Nicosil cylinder wall and not an iron bore. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Chrome does. It's incredibly hard and it has great wear characteristics, but you're not probably nobody's going to be rebuilding one of these motors, but you're very limited in where you can go when you need a top end rebuild um, when you have a Nicosil cylinder. Um, that and they can be prone to flaking and, and cause some issues. Not that it really matters, but I've just never really been that much of a fan of Nicosil cylinders yeah. as a whole. But um, overall, I'm pretty excited about these bikes. I really am. So. Unfortunately, the 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 ugly alien headlights are still there, and they're still yeah. pretty much a uh, a deal killer for me. I mean, they yeah. are they are truly hideous motorcycles. <laughs> um, I don't think that the motorcycle is hideous, but from the f- the very front view, um, there's there's a little bit to be desired, but still, I don't think quite as ugly as the newest FZ09 it, uh, or or the FZ10. But it kind of 
every time I look at one, I think of the guy who's going to look at that and go, that's so cool. It's like he, he, he's an ex frat guy in college and he's got a bro truck and he really wants to, to, you know, uh, he, he admires stunters, but doesn't really, uh, have the skill to do it himself. That's the guy who looks at the speed twin and goes, that's the most beautiful motorcycle, man. It's so awesome. <laughs> and I'm Maybe. not that, I'm not that guy and I have trouble going there. Are you sure you don't have a mohawk, a green mohawk on top of your helmet and you hey. ride in a tank top? Cager has a mohawk, so I can't, uh, I can't be too <laughs> critical about that because he's cool. Yeah. There's, um, there's one photo that's on motorcycle.com and this, these are all press photos where the guy's hustling it going over a, like it's on a racetrack. Cause you can see the colored rumble strips in the background, right hand bend. And I have to say that the, from this, from that angle, the headlights aren't as bad as the old ones in the sense that they're less tri triangulated. Um, geez, <laughs> sorry. More uh, thunder. That's more thunder. Yes. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's raining actually pretty hard right now. Um, they're they're not round like the old style, but they look more like human eyes, I guess, than weird. So I don't mind it as much as the old bike, but I never. That's one of those things like, ah, eh, you know, I'm sitting on it. I'm not looking at it all the time. So, as as was said in. The popular mechanics review of the 1972 GT750, a spectator that they were showing the bike to said, well, at least I wouldn't have to look at it while I was riding it. Right. So they said that they said that about the Panamera, the original Porsche Panamera too. So, right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it actually, um, you know, when the, when the people get to go ride it and stuff like that and when they actually announce the pricing for the rest of it. Um, but, Encouraging. Uh, that dash the, is really nice. Yeah. And the new one has, does that have a, a, it doesn't have a steel tube frame on it anymore, does it? Or is it like a partial casting, partial tube frame? I'm looking at a photo of it and it seems. It's not like a steel tubed frame, but it's also not like a mono box frame either. I don't really know yeah. how you would exactly describe it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, well, it has it. It is like an aluminum spar frame. Yeah, but, but if, it's but if you but look up near the near the steering head, it looks like it's got some round tubes as well. I don't know if those are aluminum or they're you know bonded together or whatever. But it is. It does not have that uh, all tube look like the old Triumph triples had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be gonna be interesting to see that thing in in person. Oh, it's gonna, I just realized an interesting little detail. If you look underneath the you know where the head between the headlights and the fly screen, the uh, air intake is the shape of the uh, Triumph badge. Ah, mm. yes. Yeah. Look, looking at a picture, and I just noticed that. It's a cool little styling detail. You know, I've never really been a fan of those types of styling details, like working your logo into a design, kind of like the RX-8s with the rotor symbol everywhere over the car, like, <laughs> and the back of it and the seats. No, I, I don't, they, they could leave that off. I mean, I know what kind of car it is. I know what kind of motorcycle it is. Just leave your logo out of it. I, I will tell you that 
absolutely everyone except me that rides a Can-Am Spider has some kind of spider, meaning arachnid, graphic somewhere on it. <laughs> and really, spider comes from a a Italian bastardization of speedster, and it means yep. an open roadster. It really doesn't have anything to do with the... Arachnid. With, yes, with the little eight-legged creature. So... How many people with those have named named their bikes Aragog? Not none that I know of. Aragog, hey, you're Aragog, you're you're using a reference I don't know. Me either. Harry Potter. Oh, oh, well. <laughs> I have managed to avoid reading or seeing any Harry Potter, so I was like that for a long time. Sorry, <laughs> it's one of those things. So many people have said, "Oh, you've got to." And now I'm just not going it, to out of it's spite. Ne- it's neither as good nor as bad as people make it out to be. The early movies were a little like, eh, but as it got old, got went on, they, the movies got better. The books were actually pretty reasonable. Uh, in, but it's no Game of Thrones. <laughs> that is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> in other news, the BMW Alpha won the Hooniverse Car of the Year, and a lot of people are not happy about it. It's not a car, it's not finished, and it doesn't belong to Bowman, seem to be the biggest criticisms. Everybody, I, I when we, the people on the staff at Hooniverse, we were all kicking around ideas about what we were each going to nominate, and I forget who ended up nominating the the Bowman rig, uh, his cross country adventure. That was, uh, Brad, I think, who did that one. Yeah. Uh, anyways, everyone is like, oh, that's going to win. We might, we might as well pack up and go home. Nobody's going to beat that one. And everything I've ever nominated gets like 1% of the vote every year. I am, I am a notorious. It's because you always nominated Kazashi. No, I've never nominated. That's not true. <laughs> no, but I, I, uh, not being in California, not having my finger on the pulse of the industry, and kind of being the bike guy, I did nominate the the slingshot the year it came out, even though it's not supposed to be anything that's in current production. We all break the rules when we nominate anyways. But I went ahead and nominated this. I wasn't going to, and Brad talked me into it, and I happened to post on, and, and this is why most people are, who are mad about it are actually mad at me. Not Mark, the guy who built it. But I happened to on the adventure writer build thread said, Hey, by the way, I nominated this for the Hooniverse car of the year. If you want to go vote for it, forgetting how big the ADV rider forum is. And I truly was just trying to get out of last place. I thought, oh, I'll get enough votes that I won't be the last place finish finisher. And it ended up winning and Bowman's Overland truck came in second. And so they kind of posted something the next day that said, yeah, that one, but this is the one we wanted to win. People are accusing me of not playing quite fair, but 
to be fair, Bowman also provided a link to his people that, hey, my truck's been nominated. So I'm, I'm sorry, not sorry, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Cause I truly did not ever expect that the, I would get that kind of response. And oh. I do think the BMW Alpha is a really cool build, even though it's probably nearly unrideable. Yeah, I would say that it's unrideable, but as long as the roadkill car didn't win, then I'm cool. Mark, the builder of the BMW Alpha, has agreed to be our guest on next week's show. Oh, wow. So cool. he's, he's going to come and we're going to talk to him. He's actually very interesting because he also has a uh, land speed record RD400, which I think is liquid cooled now. Uh, oh, yeah. I've read about that before. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a really cool fabricator. He does some really interesting things, chassis and engine-wise, and I think he'll be a lot of fun, and hopefully we can give him a little bit of love from Universe, because he kind of very diplomatically posted on the comments of the Car of the Year results and said, uh, thank you, I understand some of you are kind of upset about it, but thank mm-hmm. you anyways, so that's when I reached out to him and said, hey, come on, and, and he said, yeah, I'll be on next week. And as and as your Captain Picard meme says, yes, someone hijacks it every year. Was it last year or was it two years ago? It was like 10,000 and some odd votes for something and like five votes for everything else. Uh, some Polish web forum bombed it one year. Uh, Roadkill's people bombed it one year. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of is the Roadkill one. That was the NASCARLO was nominated in all of... The, their people came out and voted it in. So every year, everyone on Hooniverse that's a regular commenter and reader and contributor get a little chap that a whole bunch of people who don't have any knowledge of the history of the site come in. But that's what happens when you have a, a poll on the internet. Somebody is going to rally their people. So mm-hmm. at first I was a little shocked and chagrined. The more time that passes and the more I look at, you know what, this happens every year. I'm finding it more and more humorous, and I'm really eager to see who's going to bomb it next year. <laughs> yeah. So I am I am eager to talk to Mark next week. Uh, we have gotten a bunch of suggestions about topics to cover on Facebook, and I want to... Say thank you by name to Chris Cashin and Nick Comstock for giving us some feedback. This is actually really a whole lot more fun when you know people are listening and paying attention. So comments either on Facebook or on Hooniverse or in iTunes are wonderful and people should do more of that because it makes us happy and we're not getting paid to do this. Uh Okay, Chris Cashin says things he would like us to talk about. Long-distance road trips. I'm not sure if that's trips that we should take because we have kind of talked about that in the past. Uh, or how do you prepare for a long-distance road trip? What would be good bikes for it? Oh, by the way, uh, speaking of long-distance road trips, the guy who was the head of PR for Victory was thinking about making this year's smack dab ride a press event and bringing a bunch of their bikes on a trailer and having flying in a bunch of 
of professional journalists to ride the event on their victory touring bikes. And right around Christmas time, he stopped returning my calls and emails, and I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> now you know. Makes uh, sense. <laughs> I went out and looked at his LinkedIn page, and it says, worked for past tense victory motorcycle. So he's out of a job. I'm out of a contact. So the really exciting, wow, this is going to really make us legit press event ain't happening. Yeah, that's too bad. And the whole thing I was alluding to last week of getting a bike for Cam, that also went up in smoke along with the <laughs> future of victory. So, but, uh, Rusty, Jim, who's been on the podcast previously, is looking for a used, like, 1100 or 1200 gold wing that he can buy cheap to ride on the smack dab ride. Either that or he's just going to put street tires on the Africa twin and ride that. So we'll have to see what happens. But uh, the Facebook page for the smack dab, or, or I guess it's the Facebook group, is up to... I uh, can't tell. I thought there was something that told me how many members. Oh, 92 members. So yeah, that's good. Almost 90. breaking a triple digits. Yeah. Registration is open on the website and we have already had some people register for this year's run. And it's just in the last couple of days got shared up on the rugby page and uh, a couple of other Kansas riders pages and stuff like that. So, uh, it looks like last year's dismal five Participants will definitely be improved this year, which makes me very, very happy. But if you want to ride, that's a long distance ride. It's a long, flat, straight ride. <laughs> You're not really selling it. <laughs> well, it's, it's for people who enjoy riding motorcycles. It's not for people okay. who enjoy driving as short a distance as possible to stand in a big crowd and talk about their bike and show it off there's it, you start in the middle of nowhere you end in the middle of nowhere and uh you just get on your bike and you ride because you like your bike and you like riding and you like cruising down the road looking at the horizon and if you like that this is for you if you don't don't do it and then complain about it uh small displacement bikes chris also wants us to talk about those um i think that's probably something we could make a whole episode out of. I yeah, because I feel like we've talked about the occasional small episode, or small episode, uh, <laughs> small displacement bike, but it's always just kind of been like a, well, this one just came out, and then we moved on, but we've never really talked about them all as a whole. What constitutes small displacement? Because... And are we... Yeah. Is, is, it, is it under 350, or is it under 700? Because... A lot of people consider, you know, a 750 to be a mid-sized bike now. I have been around long enough that I still think of a 750 as kind of being the start of full size and 450 to 750 being a mid-size bike. Uh, what do you well, think? I, I think like the, um, the 300cc class of motorcycles, it's, uh, kind of running around these days, like the R3s and, um, you know. How about, how about the Duke 300. 390? I would still consider that I, I a would, small yeah. displacement. I would throw I, that in there too. 
I would say under anything under 500 cc's, I would consider small. Yeah. Um, 400 maybe technically because that's sort of that entry level point of like you say Duke 390 is a single cylinder, but mm-hmm. anything under 500 cc's because even back in the day, like a GS 500 was sort of a beginner bike, right? Yeah. So, but if we're talking about modern motorcycles, this uh, you know something over five or six hundred cc's, ah, it's hard to really consider it a small displacement bike just because of the kind of power they can make. And if you look at like a, uh, I'm going to throw out a Honda CB500X, that mm-hmm. is physically a pretty large bike. Yeah, I that's mean, true. That's it. It doesn't have a huge engine, but it's no, not but all it, that much smaller than like. A, I wouldn't a, think of that as a. Sp- it's a small displacement bike, but I don't really see it in the same kind of category right, right. as a little entry level. What about the bike. what about the Scrambler 400? It, other than the bore and the stroke, it's the same size as the 800 Scrambler. Yeah. Other than being not, an incredibly stupid, annoying motorcycle, um, I would I would consider that, and to be a small displacement I guess, bike. I guess power wise, it still fits into that class, even though it's yeah. pretty. You would do you would you but for a 400 would you also put in things like say it should be under 400 pounds with fluids and maybe like a 30 inch 31 inch saddle height to kind of well no because there are some there's you know a uh a beta 125 has a lot higher seat height than a lot of large street bikes okay. and it's still small but uh yeah i think weight and probably wheelbase have something to do with it. Well, what's the new uh, Honda Rebel way? Because that would certainly be a small displacement bike. However, is it also a tank? I don't remember if it's like awfully heavy or if it's uh, not too bad. Uh, the 408 is the uh, curb weight of the 500 and the 300 comes in below that um like like 20 pounds less or something like that yeah yeah so i don't know i would probably throw weight out and probably seat height too but yeah i mean there's lots of small displacement bikes that we could talk about in one episode chris we're gonna we're gonna put that on our list of things to make an episode out of and, uh, and if and if you have other uh, criteria other than small displacement, or you want further elaboration, leave us a comment on our on our Facebook page. Absolutely. Yeah. And anyone else, if you want to uh, help us define what that subject's going to be, chime in on Chris's suggestion. The, this one that he's talking about gives me some nightmares. The uh, starter engagement gears on the XS650 and 750. His question is, how about bad engineering stories like the Yamaha XS650, 750 starter engagement gears or the CX500 coolant gasket that requires engine removal to repair? So um, in an episode quite a while ago, I don't know if the pictures ever got put up, but on my TX750, which uses the same style of starter clutch, it's a three puck design um, and they wear out. And even just a small amount of wear on the engagement gear will cause them to not work at all. Um, and so I adapted a newer style, like 20 puck clutch onto my TX 750, uh, which was quite the undertaking, but I managed to do it and it works great. But yeah, so if he was interested in seeing any kind of resolve about that, he could find our past episode where I talk about that. 
yeah, it's there are all I, kinds of uh, kinds of stuff like that. The original Kawasaki Z1, which you understand why the frame was as uh, bad as it was when you look at what their test track was, or at least was back in the in the seventies, which was essentially a uh, a landing strip with mm-hmm. uh, with a couple small corners, but you were going so slow it didn't matter. So, but then there was like a two thirds or a three quarter mile long straight. <laughs> so it went like hell in a straight line, but uh, no one really noticed how badly it handled when it was on the yeah. test track. Well, I, I think there's, there's under the category of bad engineering, there are things that are bad engineering because they didn't realize it was going to be that way. I can remember uh, when the Kawasaki 300 jet ski first came out, uh, they had some, I think it was electrical problems with it that were just like every single one of them for months came back. They, people got and use them and something would fry out and they'd have to come back and they'd have to replace them. And they had it, how they got through pre-production testing and didn't realize this was going to be a problem. Either that or they had a manufacturer, you know, a, a subcontractor who went to production, screwed something up in the production pieces. I don't know what it was, but I can remember that was just a bad reliability move. And then there are things like if you look at uh, the Triumph and BSA triples, the Rocket 3 and the Trident, if you look at them, they've got so much stuff in there that doesn't make any sense except for the fact that it was originally a 500 twin that they grafted on a whole nother cylinder. They knew they were bodging it together, but they didn't have the resources to make an engine from scratch. You know, they, they knew they were adapting an existing design. So there are things like that, that uh, the engineers that are doing it are probably looking at it going, well, that's kind of a crappy design, but that's the best we can do with what we've got. I see those as two very, very different subjects of making the yeah. best of what you've got and just getting blindsided by a reliability problem. Uh, he also says, dealing with seasonal depression stemming from the fact that there's a half foot of snow outside and sub-zero temperatures while occasionally listening to people on podcasts talk about riding all winter long. Uh, we're certainly not riding all winter long. Uh, although the... the uh, the snow has melted in Kansas City and it's just wet out, but we're supposed to drop down and have an ice storm in the next couple days. Uh, I could probably ride my spider more than I do, but I really get anxious about all of the salt on the road. The least little bit of moisture and it's in every crevice of your machine. And I really don't, I don't even like driving my car. Hey, um, I'm trying to remember if it was. It was like 2000, I want to say, let's say it's 2006 or seven, one of those years. I think six, but might be seven. Doesn't matter. Um, it was, I wouldn't call it a warm winter, but it was not a cold winter. And I, the, my car that I had at the time, which was a Nissan Pathfinder, like one of the original ones, um, I had a, there was some, what was it in the suspension? I should know what it was, but, um, you drive. You couldn't really drive it over about 50 miles an hour because the right front wheel would – was it a tie rod? I think I had a tie rod going bad because the right front wheel would all of a sudden start flapping really bad. Um, 
and I had to go, I had like doctor's appointments. Um, so I rode my TZR two fifty to the, to the doctor's offices, you know, and, and, but it was like 40 degrees and, uh, you know, you roll into a doctor's office on a motorcycle in general, you you get funny looks, let alone you know, <laughs> to the end of January and beginning of February. And it was like 40 degrees. And I was like, isn't it cold? I'm like, I had a t-shirt, a sweatshirt, and then like, a decent jacket on and I had reasonable gloves and I think I had a, uh, like a hat on underneath my, or some kind of skull cap on underneath my, my helmet. And, uh, honestly it wasn't that bad. I mean, it wasn't, you know, like I had an electric vest on and I felt like the sun was shining down on me, but it wasn't horrible. And I mean, I was riding at freeway speed. So. Yeah. I hate riding when it's, that well i say that cold that's not terribly cold but i don't like a lot of layers when i ride it just feel like i'm really constricted Mm -hmm. um and you know it's tough to keep all of the cold out because you can keep most of your body warm but then you get like little cold pockets around your neck or like maybe around your waist and i just don't really like all of that and so i i go on very few rides in the winter time although i do get the depressed i want to ride i want to ride kind of feeling um but I don't, you just kind of have to live with it and talk about motorcycles, research motorcycles, and then get back into it in the spring. Or you uh, book a flight to, I don't know, Arizona or yeah. Hawaii or something right. and, and go to the Eagle Rider store and rent something. So yeah. so circling back into the, uh, our first story about victory, I think I remember in one of the stories that um, – Harley was throwing a fit about some of the Eagle riders renting victory motorcycles and were talking about pulling them. And that also didn't help in their sales. I could be wrong on that, but don't ask me why that just, I remember just remembered reading that the, from the other day. I don't know. I didn't see that. I, I can imagine. Well, Eagle rider isn't a Harley. I mean, they're independent, are they? Aren't they? Yes, but you know, they, I'm sure they have such a big contract with Harley and that's true. They, I'm sure Harley, I'm sure Harley uses that as a gateway drug to selling, you know, $17,000 motorcycles. Kind of the way that, uh, uh, Pepsi and Coke keep RC Cola from getting a whole lot of frontage space in grocery stores. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, okay. Nick Comstock says, I have never done a track day, but I'm seriously considering it this year. How about breaking down track days for a novice? That's really a great uh, suggestion. I think we could easily make a whole episode out of that. I have a confession. I've never done a track day. I raced way back in the day before there were track days. And by the time track days came around, I was not interested in exploring the outer edge of the envelope so uh i would be pretty much useless it's um it's not too bad you got to know your skill and bike prep is sort of the key and when i say bike prep i mean good tires you can't go there on crap tires because you're going to burn up you're going to ride a whole lot more than you thought you were and you'll burn up your tires a lot faster than you think you would um good uh fresh fluid for your brakes um potentially fresh brake pads, especially if you've got some miles on it, and then going through and making sure everything is tight. And depending on the organization, you may have to safety wire some things. Yeah, and I would say that knowledge 
is much more important than ability. Yes. On a track day. And so a lot of people are concerned about not being good enough to go. And it's fine. You you can um, not really be an incredibly talented rider as long as you know how to behave on the track, all of the rules to follow. And so um, it's always been my suggestion to people that are considering track days is to go a couple times and without a motorcycle and familiarize yourself with how it all works. Um, talk to people, um, get some research done and then make an attempt, but have plenty of knowledge before you go. Yep. You also, don't have that skill. That's not much. And it's a bit like, uh, a group street ride in the sense of ride your own ride. Yeah. Don't worry about racing or trying to be faster or passing or anything like this. Go ride. It's an opportunity to ride without, you know, people on cell phones trying to kill you and guardrails getting in your way. Um, and then the other thing is bring lots of water and Gatorade. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, your, your, your suggestion was one I was thinking of Garrett was um, go to go, go with someone else once or twice and just get an understanding of what you're getting yourself into. And then be ready because there's stuff that you're not even going to think about. And you go like, oh, wow. So some of it could be gear. Some of it could be prep. Some of it could just be cost. Yeah. So. Absolutely. It's not cheap. No. Something that I would – I've talked to Eric about this. But uh, another thing that I'd like to do that isn't directly related to a track day, but uh, I would love to go take the American Super Camp uh, I guess they call it a technique school, which is, uh, training on, uh, uh, dirt flat track. Yep. XR 100s. Yeah. Uh, or I think they're actually TT 125s now. Two, okay. But, they've changed up. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would love to do that because I have so little dirt experience and everybody for not, not so much now, but, but for a generation starting with Kenny Roberts, uh, that was kind of where you learned how to find the edge of the envelope before you went and you raced uh, Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freddie Spencer and um, I don't know if Wayne Gardner did. Uh, I think Mamola did. Uh, Mamola, uh, Eddie Eddie Lawson, yeah, Wayne Rainey. Eddie, yep. Um, yeah, Spencer, uh, there was a lot of people and, it, and it's come back into vogue again because, uh, Rossi had built, has built, uh, not exactly a circle track, but sort of a, it's not a TT course, but it's sort of a road course on dirt essentially, uh, at his ranch in Italy. And then Marquez is big time into, uh, dirt track racing, he even puts on something called the super prestigio every year. Um, which, so yeah, which has gotten really big, really, big. really quickly. I mean, they're yes. getting, Pretty much anybody who's anybody, mm-hmm. if invited, is chomping at the bit to be part of that. And that, I don't think five or ten years ago, as many pavement road racers were as eager to compete in oval track or dirt track. No. Um, oh, sorry. How can we forget Nikki Hayden? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's uh, he's one he's one away from the uh, from the dirt track triple crown. So um, he doesn't have his mile win. He's got it or no? Is it the TT? No, he's got a, he's got a mile. He's got a half mile. He needs a TT win. That's what it is. So, um, 
but yeah, it's uh, I, I think as the as the thousand cc bikes have come back with all the power even with traction control um where as sideways as you are on those bikes that you've had to learn how to control the bike again where in the 800 cc era it was very much everything in line sort of old school 250 gp um i think that had a big influence on it and i and i have to say the dirt track racing that i have watched just makes you want to get out on the track Mm -hmm. when i watch dirt track i'm like I want to give that a shot. I want to try that. You know, get it, get an old XT250 or something and, and get out there and race at my local track. Yeah. And the, uh, the American dirt track is making a bit of a comeback here in the last couple of years. So there's some of that in there as well. A little more factories for participation. So good things could be on the, uh, on the horizon for that. But yeah, American Super Camp, we're definitely going to be looking into that here. Uh, okay. We are at an hour, so we probably should, uh, think about wrapping this one up. Uh, one thing I did want to mention is go out to our Facebook page. Just today, I posted a, an old black and white newsreel of, I think it was the 1969 or 70 British International Motorcycle Show at Brands Hatch, I think. Uh, Really found it fascinating. I watched it about three times because it just, parts of it, I was fascinated with it, parts of it just tickled me as being so archaic's not the right word. I'm, I'm at a loss for what it, charmingly quaint. <laughs> and with that, I think we probably should sign off and, uh, hopefully next week we will have, uh, the builder of the alpha with us. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk maybe about uh, small displacement bikes and maybe some more about track days. That'll be good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, Garrett, why don't you? Yeah. Log- find log- us on Twitter uh, at the false neutral. Facebook is also the same at the false neutral. Where else can they find us? On Hooniverse. Yes. Hooniverse. You can go to Hooniverse, find this episode. Yeah. Just a reminder that we do include photos of any of the motorcycles that you may not be familiar with that we've talked about. So I will sign off and see you all next week. So long, guys. Later. See ya. Later.